Hello, everyone. We have a great show for you this week. Joel reports on the Sandia Blade Conference down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And then we have a discussion about the California Offshore Wind Auction. How much money is going to be bid in that auction in December? And then we have a special interview from our time at Wind Energy Hamburg, where I discuss the latest news from Rope Robotics with their CEO, Martin Hughes Bureau. I'm Alan Hall, president of WeatherGuard Lightning Tech, and I'm here with my good friend from Wind Power Lab, Joel Saxon. Rosemary is on a well-deserved break, and this is the Uptime Wind Energy Podcast. Well, Joel, you're down in Albuquerque at the Sandia Blade Conference. Do you want to give us a little bit of highlights of what's happening down there this week? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the last count, there was about 200 people here, uh, which is a good turnout for a, you know, a technical workshop focusing on just one, yeah. one portion. So the majority of the people you're seeing here, a lot of owner-operators, but because it is Sandia, um, all the all the smart researchers are here from Sandia and NREL and and Berkeley and uh, I met a couple of guys from GE that are up by you in the uh, oh, wow. Schenectady. Schenectady and they're they're a part yeah. of research but they're like oh we work a little bit in aerospace a little bit in wind a little bit of this so mm. um, some really cool um, smart people here uh, of course but uh, a lot of good interesting topics um, they've got the the conference or workshop set up. Uh, Kind of neat. I like it because it's four days, right? But if you are just able to come in for to listen to some panel discussions, all the panel discussions are on Tuesday. All the podium talks are on Wednesday, and then it's bookmarked by on Monday. There's like um like working group kind of things, um, and then on Thursday it's the same thing. So they're looking at talking through some standards and some other stuff on those in like more of a, a town hall type situation. Hmm. Um, wow. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the panels were great. Some of the panels were, one of them was full of uh, owners and operators uh, and getting to hear uh, some of their pain points uh, and the things that they're doing was great. Uh, and then that led into today, which is Wednesday, of a lot of podium talks. Um, but uh, one thing I wanted to touch on as well is that this the people from Sandia put the conference on. Um, and, and they opened it with saying, hey, we're just a bunch of engineers. We threw this conference together in our spare time in between experiments. Uh, but they've done a great job. Um, you know, the, the, the hotel and stuff that we're at has been fantastic. They've uh, organized some events, um, put the, the, uh, uh, the program together in a very, very good way. So congrats and, and kudos to the Sandia people for putting this thing on. Um, and the, the content has been Fantastic. If you're into blades, as, as of course, um, Alan, you and I are, that's our, our bread and butter here. Uh, it's all blades, every talk, whether it's um, talking about instrumenting blades with the new sensor technologies that are out there or problems with lightning or problems with um, data analytics or what are we doing with all the data we're collecting um, from, you know, drone inspections and, and SCADA data and all this stuff. So now there's, now it's, uh, the last few conferences, the last few years has been, let's let's get as much data as we can. And now everybody's going like, whoa, what are we going to do with all this data? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, um, so being able to listen to more of a 
it's less commercial, more technical, more of an open talk around some of the issues people are having and how they're solving them. So those kind of things have, of course, there's a lot of value in that for other owner operators. And then uh, sitting right next to them is the actual blade design engineers. So there's people from Siemens Gamesa here, Envision here, um, TPI has got a good presence. And so it's, um, it's a, it's a lot of, a lot of smart blade design engineers and whatnot. And, and, you know, we kind of talk sometimes about OEMs not really wanting to share too much. Um, they're, they're still not doing that in a formal fashion. Um, but at least in the, in the coffee line and and around cookies and lunch, you can hear some conversations that are a little (laughs) bit more open, which is nice, which is nice to hear. It's amazing what a cookie will bring out of somebody, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, a good cup of coffee, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, what are some of the top issues? I, I, I'm i guessing monitoring systems. We saw that in, in Hamburg. Mm-hmm. That monitoring seems to be a big issue, even though the OEMs are not really providing monitoring systems directly on the blades. Is that one of the discussion points is what's everybody doing about monitoring? Yeah, so there's, uh, I mean, one of the owner-operator panels was uh, a bunch of them standing up there going, hey, now there's a bunch of options out in the marketplace, but we really haven't settled on which one is the best for us. Um, So you hear uh, them talking about getting some more tests done in the field, and, you know, of course, those things have to cook. You can't just go out and see if they're good or not in a day. Um, So putting putting them into different situations... Um, you know, there's some standard stuff, like everybody knows how to get API handles and data back, like that's fine. But, um, how, what is the best system for each individual operator and their pain points they have? And then also, um, I, again, talking coffee and cookie conversations, I was, they had a kind of a, a reception last night and I was talking to, um, one of the people from Sandia, from the actual Sandia laboratories. Oh, fun fact, 13,000 employees in the Sandia laboratories. I bet you didn't know really? that. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. a lot of people. Okay. Yeah. So I was talking with him. This very small portion of them are in wind, just so everybody's clear. That's mostly yeah. other things. Um, yes. But I was talking with him and he said like, hey, you know, we're thinking about this idea of a project where we basically are going to try to sponsor or get sponsors on board as a co-op to get a turbine where we can just test anything like you want to test an anti-icing thing put it on there you want to test a sensor put it on there you want to test this and it's sponsored from the industry forward and so he's like what's the best way to do this so we talked about some ideas like okay if someone is in west texas and they're putting up a new wind farm if you could sister onto that and say hey one of those turbines what if we you know the costs get reduced because of you know oh sure bulk bulk costs and in um right building that wind farm but if you could get some you know coalition of people together and i and i my thing to him as as we share on the podcast and this is what you know our goal here is to spread news and 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 technology and what's going on i said you guys need to be more vocal about it i said if you're going to put it up there don't put barriers to entry to this turbine like don't make it you have to qualify for a grant to get on there or you have to know someone who knows someone who knows someone i said yes make this thing so visible that any person that's coming into the wind industry with a new product has access to it and he was like man that's a good idea that's a good idea because he said you're a taxpayer so yeah i pay way too much in taxes and he said uh so we're here for you so that's great so let's make that happen let's make let's make sandia labs more accessible Right. If I had one thing to take away from this that I, w- I wouldn't uh, normally have thought is some of the research that's being done and the money that's being spent at a lot of these like, with ARPA-E and the DOE and NREL and Sandia. And, um, I've seen this before in Los Alamos and some of the other you know government labs. 
the things that they're spending money on might not be completely aligned with uh, the goals of the general public, right? The research. So like, right. you know, one of the biggest things right now in wind is, okay, uh, how do we lower LCOE? So I would think that there'd be a big project centered around lowering LCOE. Well, there's nothing like that. Um, so it would be nice to see we, you and I and Rosemary have talked about it before. Some of these government funds being spent to get products and solutions and services from TRL five to TRL nine instead of TRL zero to TRL four or five. You know, right? That seems to be the little twist, right? Is uh, there's an initiative to get things just barely off the ground and. In the meantime, we're installing wind turbines off the coast of California in a couple mm-hmm. of years, and we don't have any plan to go do that. That's <laughs> yeah, quite defined yet, right? <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the things that actually I'd like to share to to the listeners as well, and I think anybody that works in the wind industry will have can see this and vouch for it, is some of the conversation actually was innovation cycles in wind are too fast right now. It used to be. Oh, yeah. It used to be like, and Rosemary says this too about blade design. It used to be like you put out, you you spent a year in designing a blade and testing a little bit and, you know, doing some statistical models. And then you built a scaled model and then you tested that and then you went out and it was, there was a time and then that blade was good in the market for three to five years. And now the innovation cycle is so fast and the newest technology and there's like this race to be the best at everything by a millimeter. Sure. Um, and so during one of the panels, the guy asked the question, so, so how do we slow this innovation cycle down to one of the asset owners? And he was like, I guess it's on us, <laughs> the asset owners themselves <laughs> and that are sure. calling for all this, this new stuff. Um, so it, it, that's something that's been talked about in, in quite a few circles here that I've been in, um, and some panels and some, some other, um, talks about it's one of the issues we have. And then. We tied it back in a conversation with someone to, you know, the other day I read an article from the CEO of Vestas, I believe it was, where he said, our pricing of our turbines isn't really enough to sustain our business model. We have to raise our prices. Well, if you slowed down on the innovation cycle and you weren't throwing so, you know, that you weren't throwing so much money at it as, as the market demands, if that market demand wasn't as high for these new products, you wouldn't have to throw so much money at innovation and you might be able to, everybody take a deep breath install some of the things that we know work and stop throwing new products at yeah. the market and just build and scale these things to get to our energy goals um, without trying to do everything at once. So there's a lot of opinions on it. That's just some of the report from the, the Sandia conference here. So is there any consensus on on a, on a number of issues? It, it, is there consensus uh, uh, about standardizing some of the way we do, we do things? I, I know that, that uh, there's a new ANSI standard that's coming out, and we'll discuss that in the podcast here. But it, it does seem like it's still a little bit of the Wild West. Everybody's going their own direction, and things are still rapidly developing. Is there any sense of like, all right, everybody slow down a second. Let's figure this thing out because we're just going to be spinning our wheels and, and blowing millions of dollars if we're not careful? There's talk of it but no action on it, right? And so yeah. one of the things that someone had brought up as well is, you know, there's these standards, there's the, you know, the different IEC standards and some other things. And uh, right. when you really read into them, some of it's pretty vague, right? They don't, they kind of put enough in there to say, yeah, you got to get to this point. Um, and uh, someone from one of the owner operators was saying, there's a blade owners group um, with Latina and, uh, Birgit Junker from RWE runs it over there in the EU. She was speaking. 
which is nice oh, to have okay. her over here. In, in EU presence, she was the only one uh, that I know of speaking from that side of the pond. And she hmm. was talking like, hey, we had at one point in time delivered what we think from the owners has needs to be done in these standards. This is the things that we want in our blades. Um, and it's like it wasn't listened to. You know, the OEMs still don't quite want to share information. They don't quite want to, uh, you know, play ball with all the uh, the owner operators. So they're stuck figuring things out. Um, and they, they're kind of in that spot. Like I the guy from, or one of the guys from Next Era was speaking. He's like, we have 12,000 turbines. Uh, and we've kind of just figured that once they go out of warranty, it's on us. So we bolstered our engineering groups and we're taking the steps to make sure that we do that because we can't re or we won't rely on the OEMs to um, get to that point. Wow. Wow. It's kind of telling, isn't it? Yeah. It's the same thing that we always talk about. The OEMs don't want to, they don't want to share engineering designs. They don't want to really play ball. They just kind of, here you go and, and we'll move forward. Hmm. Well, is, is the Sandia conference held annually? I know it was not held because of COVID for a couple of years, but is it an annual event or is it every other year sort of like Hamburg is? I think it's every other year. I was looking at some classical stuff and it was like 14, 16, 18. Oh, and I don't think then I don't think it was held in 20. Um, and right. maybe they did a virtual one in there or something, but you know, as we, we all did a couple of years of virtual meetings and conferences, it's so nice to be back just with bumping elbows with people and meet, meeting new faces and yeah. Well, that's that's the question is, do these things need to happen every year to be effective? Like every other year I get on the big conferences, the Hamburg conference, you couldn't do every year. It would just wipe people out. There's so much oh, work yeah. going into that one. But in these smaller conferences where you're bringing people together to talk technical shop, does every year make more sense? Because of the speed. Yeah. I guess there's two thoughts on that. I think there could be a conglomeration of a lot of things, right? Like I don't see the need for... ACP offshore this week and ACP regular conference yes. in a couple more months. Like to me, it's why it's, they're both ACP events. They both deal with the exact same thing. Why not make one big one and put them all together? Yeah. And O&M, like, why do we have three of these? I don't get me wrong. I love to, you know, go to San Diego to Coronado for O&M and, and go here and go there. Like, <laughs> but, but it's, it's draining on my, on my budgets. But it's also draining on my, you know, my lovely better half likes to have me at home too. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't see why we can't put some of these together. Like the O&M conference, make it five days long. Make one day offshore, one day O&M and a couple of days of everything if you want to separate some stuff right, up like that. Come or, and go. Yeah. So yes. I don't see the need for, you know, and like some of these things as well, I believe, um, it's it's capitalism some of it's market grab some of people are just trying to make money like we do the blades usa one i liked blades usa last year um but yeah it was good it was like two grand to walk in the door that's someone trying that's someone trying to make money that's <laughs> oh yeah they have yeah. i mean they have to pay for those things those those conferences are expensive yeah. i do i do think in in aerospace i'll use my aerospace hat for a minute in aerospace what we tended to do was go to OEM sites and mm -hmm. have meetings there and, and try to share information. That's what the owners groups do also something similar in wind, mm -hmm. but it, it, you, you think getting people together a little more often once a year for sure would help with the communication because yeah. we all go home to our separate little offices and we're all working away, but we're <laughs> all going in different directions and there's no, there's no consensus like, Oh, yeah. 
I didn't know that was going on in the industry because I'm too busy yeah. working on some other thing. Yeah. I talked to the guy from – he works for Envision. Now, Envision is an oddity in the US because it's a right. Chinese manufacturer and they have an, their blade design offices in Colorado. And they're really the only one set up that way. And he's like this, – this gentleman I was talking to, he used to work for Siemens. He used to work for uh, – he worked at Sandia for a little while. It was GE, a couple of different players. And he's like – yeah, it's weird working for Envision now because I don't know what's going on in the industry in the U.S. because that doesn't affect me. <laughs> He's like, so I like coming to the event so I can actually catch up on what everybody else is doing, you know. So yeah. that was that was one perspective. But I think that this this having a conference that's really technical is nice. But I don't see the need for the more commercial ones to be so many. Could make them pull them together and make one big one. That's the way I look at it. I, I think industry is going to do that as it as it ages a little bit. You're going to start seeing consolidation. Mm-hmm. That has that has to happen because it's just, otherwise it's just you're right. You were spending too much money traveling and not enough time with the right doing. people in the room doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. So the the de- definite value to this one here uh, on the technical side, um, listening to some of the basically O and M strategies around what do you do with analytics and data and, and are you, how are you classifying blade failures and what is, you know, what is it? Uh-huh. The Ed from RWE was here and he was his oh. be- beautiful presentation on exactly how RWE is handling their massive fleet. Like they're huge, right? They have so many blades and he was like, okay, this is how we handle this. This is how we handle this. We have a logic this way and we do this, this way. And, and he, you know, he was very clear in saying like, while AI is out there and machine learning is out there, like right now we don't use as much of it because we really need to be able to focus on the things. And he's like, some of it is we have a team of five blade engineers and a lot of it, the things we do boil down to judgment calls from engineers. Oh, sure. You yeah. know? And, and so they were very frank about it. And, um, and that was kind of, it's the reality of the that. situation, yeah. right? It's the reality of the situation. You have to produce power. You got to keep on top of the projects mm-hmm. and, it's nice to, to tinker in, in new technologies, but the, at the end of the day, that's not necessarily what you're getting paid for. Yeah, you got to make sure it's right about re- that reliability of your blades. That's what you're there for. So yeah. get that done, and then you can play with stuff in the background. Well, that sounds like a really good conference. I haven't attended that one in particular, so it's good to hear from those conf- this conference in Sandia. There's, there's like we said, but there's so many conferences going on. It's, it's hard to keep track, but. It's nice to hear that the industry is coalescing around blades down in Albuquerque this week. That's good to hear. Yeah. Get the latest on wind industry news, business, and technology sent straight to you every week. Sign up for the Uptime Tech Newsletter at weatherguardwind.com slash news. Joel, the first California offshore wind auction is scheduled for December 6th. And I don't know if you put in your application to buy a plot of (laughs) of ocean out there. I know I thought about it for about 30 seconds when I realized, oh, you're talking about millions and millions of dollars. There's no way to do that. But they're going to lease five separate areas and 350,000 square acres of of ocean. And the goal is to generate four and a half gigawatts of of power uh, and, and deliver that to about a million and a half homes. So far, uh, when the notice was put out, they had listed 43 bidders that had been vetted by the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. Uh, and it's the usual players and a bunch more, Avangrid, BP, Clearway, EDF, EDPR, Equinor, Invenergy, Orsted, RWE, Shell. Uh, so there's a number of big players there. And you know, the question is, what are they going to pay for this thing? 
there's, there seems to be some unknowns. And I, I'm curious if the experience like Equinor had uh, in, in the bite and uh, in some of those auctions off the coast of New York uh, is going to play into the decision in the Pacific because I think everybody's trying to feel their way out, out still on the Atlantic side of, the, of America. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to something a little more complex with floating wind and all the unknowns in the Pacific Ocean. Do prices that you think the bids are going to drop substantially from what we saw uh, over on on the East Coast of America? I do, and there's a couple of reasons. Um, the first one being just I'm looking at history. When the bite auction happened, it was crazy expensive, and then when they had yes. the auction right after that in South Carolina, North Carolina, it was way North cheaper. North Carolina, yeah, it went for like yeah. 150 million for a spot instead of a billion. You know, so I think that's that's one thing. Um, also, it's so so the the Capital might not be as easy to get for these companies this mm. time around. The second one is it's completely – it's so risky, right? It's very risky to do – it's risky for a any random – it's risky to go paint houses in California. Yes. <laughs> like, like it's just risky <laughs> business there, right? So yes. – and we had reviewed some of this stuff a few months ago uh, on the show here about the, the – different bullet points they had put in about um, investment in the local communities, investment in local workforces, right. and, da, 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 and that's all yeah. good things. But those are also very expensive. So I, you know, personally, like I've done a lot of work in California in my past. And I know that when we were doing a job in Texas or Oklahoma or North Dakota, and we took that same crew and we went to California, we automatically put like 22% on top. Ooh. And that was wow. because of, it was like, because once you were there, you had to pay different tax rates for um, to employment taxes, uh, unemployment insurance taxes, all those things just for employees that are based out of there are so much more expensive. Um, not a, and that's that leaves completely alone the idea that putting people in hotels there is more expensive and putting like because these things sure. are built. The, I think the area the area is one of them is like off of San Francisco. Imagine having to bring in a workforce yeah. and <laughs> camp out in hotels the in San Francisco. Most ex- expensive area yeah. yeah it's gonna be ridiculous so those are little things about cost um but the regulatory environment in california is inherently risky um while they, while they want to see green energy and everybody else does as well at certain some certain levels um it's a very risky play uh so and that we haven't even talked about the fact that this is going to be floating there's going to be no bottom right. fixed stuff here unless you're putting it in the you know san francisco bay it's not going to be bottom fixed and they're definitely not going there <laughs> no. so so they're going to be floating and we don't the the when you talk start talking about the development cost of a project you have to understand all of the infrastructure all the permitting fees all of this like there's the whole cost model and now they've been vetted, so the, the idea has been out there for a year, two years. So people have been kind of in the background working on this thing, but saying, okay, now we're going to have the lease, and now you need your prices by December 6th. That's less than two months away. Um, I think that I don't think it's going to be as competitive. I don't think the prices will be there. I mean, on this list, there's only a few that actually have experience with offshore floating wind that have actually. Put it out in the oh, world yeah. and 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 are and are deriving power from it. So I mean, I'm just thinking high wind in Scotland, right? I think that was and correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's Equinor was a, was a big part of that at the beginning. Equinor, um, I think, has experience with that. Yeah, but Equinor's got experience with Moscow, and like I know most of the others don't. They just they haven't touched it. Um, so it's it's very risky. Um, 
from almost every standpoint you look at it, there's nothing safe about this one in my mind. So how do you hedge your bets here? You feel like you probably want to buy some of the territory just because maybe the, the, the first company in figures out how to make this happen or a GE or a Siemens Gamesa figures out how to make all this work. And, and then the risk goes down. How, how do you how do you weigh that when you're you're, you're bidding with 40 other companies for this for this land or the social? One of the things that I like to talk about in uh, I really love economics. So I talk about with people in general is California in the US is the land of risk. So in a land of risk, you can lose big, but you can also win big. So if you think about the population there and the things that are going on in that state, while you see report after report of people leaving, people leaving, people moving out, that doesn't change sure. the fact that power prices are high. There's a lot of people there. Yes. There will always, if anybody has vacationed to the coast of California, there will always be a lot of people there because it's fantastic. That's my opinion, and, and I'll stick to it. Um, it's true. But so so there is, you know, if you have this much space, depending on, you know, if you can get whatever kind of PPA you can sign or whatever, there's a there's a chance that there's actually a lot of money to be made there. Um, and, and of course, we like to see um, new development and offshore wind. And if you're one of these first movers to put some utility scale offshore wind in the United States, that's a nice feather in the cap. Yeah, I, I, I'm wondering, though, also with with the uh, inflation and the interest rates bumping up, how much effect that's going to have on suppressing the bid prices. Mm -hmm. uh, your, your cost of your cost of cash goes up. Right. Cost of borrowing well, goes way up and you don't know where that's stopping at the moment either. So, again, it's one of those it's going to it's going to be a depressant on where I think that the peak will be. And remember, some of these auctions have gone over a day long. They've been into day two. Mm -hmm. There's one that was in day three. Right. So they're, they're kind of they're still trying to figure out where the marketplace is. Uh, and as they if, if you read the notice, um, I was reading through the notice, they have a, a practice run on December 5th, they have a, a mock auction. And I assume that so everybody makes sure all their data communication systems work, they can put a bid in and it properly pops up. It's kind of like the NFL draft, right? You, mm -hmm. you Hopefully got it's a, like $1. <laughs> yeah. Right. $1, right. Bob. I got a good, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure that, I just thought that was kind of amusing. Like, hey, we got to make sure the system works because when we get to the, the real day, Mm -hmm. uh, you got one shot at it, and if you miss it, it's over. But then those uh, those auctions evolve, right? So it's a series of rounds, uh, and as a as a price goes up, obviously more and more people start dropping out, and you kind of get whittled to the top. I'm I would be curious to see who the last three are. <laughs> you know, like who who is the, who who is who's really in it till the end, and, and how far are they willing to go? Because uh, it'll tell a lot about the philosophy as a company, I think. How cool would it be, though? Like I, that, now you said NFL draft. I'm thinking about when they when they flash to like the camera scenes of I'm a Packers fan, right? So they're like, this is the Packers war room <laughs> during the draft. Like to be a fly on the wall in one right. of those in like BP's room. Like, ooh, what are they going to say? What's going on? Um, but you know, the, the war rooms. Yeah, the war room, man. So like I think yeah. the one thing that we shouldn't miss here in conversation, Alan, is this is the first auction after the IRA bill is passed. Yes. So how does that play into it right now? They know that they can get uh, because. OK, so now switch gears talking vessels because you need vessels over there. There's no vessels yeah. over there. You know, the port of Seattle's mm -hmm. got some. There's no work. There's not a lot of 
there's a container ships coming in and out and some tugboats like that's it on that whole coast there's no other infrastructure out to sea that needs to be really i mean there's some pipelines and stuff out there but that really needs to be maintained like it is in the gulf coast or like it is on the east coast where there's yeah. some some actual so all of those any resource that you need is either sailing through the panama canal from somewhere else or right. it's got to get built <laughs> so now you know you have funds or uh, maybe not funds but relief tax relief uh, to build some of these vessels and stuff. So uh, we'll see what the, I know, like Crowley's a big player on that side of the world in logistics uh, between Seattle and Alaska and all that stuff. So maybe we'll see um, some, uh, I'm considered, I'm, again, a fly on the wall thing. And I'm, I'm thinking like, what are the, what are the, what thoughts are going through their heads now? And how does the IRA bill play into this? Um, and I guess we'll have to wait until December 6th to see. Yeah. Well, do you think, there, do you think these companies have war rooms where they make these bids? Do you to. think there's 10 people in a room and they're they have to, I, I guess you, for as much money as, as, as at stake, I would think they would have to, but it, it's hard to envision that happening I'm in, thinking, this, in this option, yeah. but it must. I'm thinking that if you're talking the names in this list, this, the CEO of Orsted is definitely at least on a team's call with the whole team while this is going on, because it's, it's so high profile. Wow. It has to be, and and if not, like more power to their their organizations and their processes that they figure out and they trust all the people that are put in place. That's great, um, but I'm just yeah. I, I guess I'm imagining a movie in my head, <laughs> you know, all these yeah, people sitting would, around, like, someone it, it smashing any, their fist on the table, <laughs> BP got us again, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, it does lead to a documentary style of thinking about this because it would be interesting to see behind the scenes of what is. What's happening? I, you, not not so much. You have to know all the, you know, intimate details, but just to see the interactions and how that all plays out. Because it is a time limited thing. You you have yeah. to have your bids in. You have to figure out where you're willing to go. I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, backroom dealings, mm -hmm. uh, last minute trades that are happening, <laughs> coalescing yeah. uh, with yeah. with uh, <laughs> suppliers. <laughs> You can't trade your quarterback for a first rounder here for the next year, so it's a little bit different. Well, I don't know. Yeah. You, you, you know, I, <laughs> we'll I sell you this wind farm if you get out of the lease. Maybe. Well, for as much money as we're talking about, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. You and know, like where's where's the WalMarts in this? Right? Like, who yeah. are some of the people going to buy this yeah. power? Where where are they in this? Uh, yeah. Where's the Amazons? Where's they might the have a, Facebooks someone sitting the there too? They might have someone in the war oh. room. Wouldn't you think so? If I was Facebook and going to use a bunch of this this power coming off the coast, yeah. which I'm invariably going to do, yeah, don't I have a seat in that war room? I think so. You know, I, he, <laughs> here's another one for you. Like Alan, you have a long engineering and aerospace background as well as wind. Myself, wind, uh, offshore oil and gas, onshore oil and gas. Think about the tender process for this thing and what kind of a team puts that to. Because I've put some tenders together yeah. with with some really smart people before, and I mean it'll take it's for small projects, <laughs> weeks to put tenders together to win the, and then when you win it, you're like, yeah, it's awesome. Imagine the tender and how thick and how much due diligence and how oh. many things, the size of the team and coordinating all that. You have to have project managers, plural, just to get the tender done uh, and coordinate yeah. the whole thing. Like it's, uh, it's nothing to shake a stick at. Well, in the, in the risk, I think one of the early risks, we had talked to Kevin Ewing, uh, who's an attorney out on, in the, um, Washington D.C. area, who was helping with some of the the, the bite auction at the time. I remember him describing, and you can go back and watch that episode. But he was describing like what you get with this auction, what you actually win. You win the right to apply for a permit to put 
<laughs> to review the site and to to put turbines out there at some point. So yeah. it's just to open the dang door. And then the fun really starts. Like you're saying, the fun really starts when, okay, we're in. Now what? <laughs> now, now, now the hard work begins. And I thought writing the check was going to be the hard work. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's just beginning. It's going to get a lot more fun after that. And and those sort of things, I, uh, I, this is such a complicated beast when, when mm-hmm. these auctions happen and what happens afterwards. That's why I think a documentary on Netflix would be really cool. You know, one of the things that I've seen happen as well, and, and anybody that follows the industry, especially the offshore wind industry coming to the U.S., you've seen now, okay, <clears throat> Orsted wins a site in New York, right? Orsted doesn't come and develop it. XYZ Wind does, and that is two people from this company and two people from that company and five people from this company that run it, and then all these different consortiums and LLCs and JVs and all these things. So now, not only do you have all of these different companies popping up, starting up, but they're not really popping up, starting up. They're just people coming from the other ones that won the auction to actually develop the thing, you know, like the Vineyard Wind One organization, yeah. whatever. So now, yes. you're not, not only are you doing that, but all of a sudden, you've got a whole new company that you've got to coalesce the team. Get that culture going. Get the processes in place. All this stuff, and of course, they have help from their parent, the parent companies, and whatever. But that just makes it so much more complicated. When I see so and so get appointed as the new SVP of development or the new yeah. CEO of so such and such wind, you're like, what is this company? And all of a sudden, yes. they, you see their website, and you're like, do they have like a ten billion dollar budget? It's like, oh, that's actually Orsted and Nekanor together in one company. Oh, okay. So, but it, it's just like there's just so much juggling, so many balls in the air for these things to happen. And that's why you see a lot of turnover, I think. It, there, it's it's such a fast-moving, expensive uh, game, I'll call it, that they're enterprise, that they're in, that it's it's really hard to find that perfect person to get you from the beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. It, it is almost like running an NFL football team in a sense, right? If, yeah. you're, if you're rebuilding, it's, it takes a different coach. And if you're kind of halfway there, it's a second coach mm-hmm. as you get to – Going to the Super Bowl, you probably have a third coach, right? So there's 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 just different time frames and different people needed for each of these little phases. I I I'm thinking that the companies that are involved in that in the United States are really trying are finding that out. That the 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 person you installed in there to, to kick this thing off was probably whiz bang at, <laughs> at getting the energy, getting it started, and then the 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 grind out work has to start different personality. So you have to prepare for that. And I I I wonder. Is everybody thinking that when they start? Maybe they are. Maybe because these projects are so long, they realize like I could retire on this project yeah. <laughs> if I wanted to. I, how do we? How do we manage that? How do we handle that? This is just a fascinating uh, piece of of uh, you know Americana, mm-hmm. uh, th- which is uh, what we learn here in America. Obviously, um, we're last to the table on floating wind. Essentially, we are. Uh, but yet we're going to go through the, the, that same learning process, uh, the Europeans did uh, several years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows, who, who knows where we end up, but supposedly with a lot more power offshore, I guess that's where that's we good. want to go. And a crazy thing yeah. here, Alan, is like the, we're, we're still, I mean, offshore wind ACP was this week as well, right? None of, right. None, of none of our team, none of our crew, none of our network really went, went there directly, but because there's too many of these things to go to. Yeah. But we're, I mean, that conference and I saw stuff all over LinkedIn and, oh, this is a great conference. We're moving forward so fast. We're doing all this stuff. 
we have six turbines in the water in the United States. Seven. Seven. seven yeah. Sorry. Seven. 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 Five, five and Come five on. and two. Right. Yeah. <laughs> five so and we, two. Have, right. we have seven turbines in the water and this is what's going on. Right. There's right. Comp- companies changing hands already and like buyouts happening and these things. And it's like, man, this yes. is crazy. We're not even we haven't even stabbed a mother monopile, you know. So yeah, there's a lot more to come. There's a lot more to come, and and uh, as as this auction happens, we'll follow up when, after the auction and, and just see where we're at. See many how many uh, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars are, is put down for these leases. It, it will be a really interesting time. Lightning is an act of God, but lightning damage is not. Actually, it's very predictable and very preventable. Strike Tape is a lightning protection system upgrade for wind turbines made by WeatherGuard. It dramatically improves the effectiveness of the factory LPS so you can stop worrying about lightning damage. Visit weatherguardwind.com to learn more, read a case study, and schedule a call today. We have Rope Robotics CEO and founder, Martin Bjurge, uh, who is all the way from Denmark. Denmark. <laughs> where all the cool, innovative things happen in wind, it seems like. <laughs> and rope robotics is one of those. Uh, we, we call it silicon wind in Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a good way to describe it, actually. That's kind of what it is. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a lot of new technology, as we've seen here. We're at Wind Energy Hamburg. Uh, today is the last day, Friday. And we were just talking about the number of new technologies that are popping up. Uh, you're not new, though. Not completely. We've been there for a couple of years, yes. and uh, we have our robot in operation now for a couple of years. And right. it's, uh, but we can also see they're starting to come other robotic solutions out there. It's it's quite yes. it's really interesting to see what's going on in the in that market. Well, there's there's been a big shift. Yeah. From technicians because you've run out of technicians. It, it, I don't know if you've run out of them, but it's really difficult to get to get, quali- the, get yeah. the qualified technicians yes. and. Uh, get enough technicians trained uh, yeah. to actually have the level of skills that's required to do a good good job. Right, and speed is of the essence. It the is. Operators. There's so many owners. turbines out there that need some tender love and care. Right, and they need it relatively quickly. They yeah. want to get in, do the job, exactly. keep power production up, and that's where you come in. Exactly. So we can train the technician significantly faster in being able to operate a robot than yeah. it is to get all the skills and certificates to work sure. from rope. Sure. So definitely we can speed up some of the processes there. Of course, then there's the whole health and safety aspects of uh, yeah. having a robot sitting up there in the height working instead of having people working from rope or platform or sure. whatever it is. So sure. so definitely we're increasing health and safety there. So if you haven't seen Rope Robotics' YouTube channel, please do. You, you need to go look at it first, yeah. but uh, you have a couple of key things that you're doing for Blades at the moment. Do you want to describe some of those? Yeah, so our, our main thing is uh, leading edge protections. Yeah. So we we have the tool and cap- capabilities to uh, sand and clean the leading edge, and then we acli- apply a liquid LEP. Uh, we're okay. using a product from uh, from Technos called Technoblade, okay. uh, Technoblade 9000. Uh, but in principle, we could use other uh, liquid LEP systems as well. Sure. But this is this is this product we have chosen, and that's the one we are running with. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, it does. Do operators want to choose that material? Is yeah, it, I'm, or is I'm, it just, it's, it's relying on your yeah, experience. It, it, it's it's a really nice product. Yeah. Uh, it has it's, uh, yeah, great great uh, great uh, LEP performance. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, the the robot ha- performs what tasks that a technician would do in terms of LEP. 
so so it's it's the full process basically. Oh, good. Okay. So, so it's cleaning, sanding, and applying the the coating. So everything. To, and now, is it limited to certain sizes of blades, or is it any size blade? We can. There's uh, the problem is actually the smaller blades. So oh, it, okay. So if I forget to, we actually we tried a. I think it was a V forty seven. Oh wow! That, okay. that that's a clay, that's, that's very small uh, turbine, right is, yeah. and that was too small. So oh, uh, okay. th there uh, there's not enough space on those blades to for the robot. But as soon as we get to these blades around the thirty meter length or something like that, which then, the vast majority yeah, are yeah, today, then uh, then the robot uh, fits very fine on these blades, and we can do the work. Wow. Okay. And you had, how did this pass? Summer ago, you were out on some campaigns? Yeah, we we, we we done a project together with uh, with uh, GEV and uh, uh, and and we it's it's really nice project. Yeah. Uh, good uh, good partners there and sure. uh, and had a nice nice project. We did uh, a bunch of turbines in uh, in US Montana. Good. Uh, so LEP applied there, and it's yeah. it's actually a. Uh, on that project, it was a hybrid solution, you can call it. So oh. it's a combination of some uh, some shells uh, at the very tip, and yep. then the the liquid LEP a little bit higher in the blade. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's it's you can say uh, there's no doubt that the Polytech has a fantastic product in sure. in, in their shells, in the and shells. and they uh, and. So having that uh, and the very high erosion zone in some cases actually makes sense. Yeah, it just yeah the the combination does make sense. Yeah, you know, put yeah. the put the product where it's best used. Exactly, mm. exactly. So, so you're in the United States. I assume that means you are global at this point. <laughs> uh, pretty much. Uh, we we mainly focusing on the European area and oh, okay. and the North American area. It's okay. not let. I'm, you know, if uh, if I get a call from elsewhere, we're probably also going to do that. Sure. But but that's where we focus. Um, okay. If, and so does a robot go with you? Like, did you ship the robot with you and, and a crew yeah, so of we, a couple? We have people? a uh, we have a setup in in uh, in US with the. Oh. So the main thing is is the we have a control center, a mobile control center, which yeah. is basically a trailer with uh, with a little bit of uh, 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 with some computer screens and stuff yeah. like that. So that's where we we run the robot from. So we have such okay. a trailer in North America and we have in, uh, in in Europe. So if we have to go other places, that also means we would have to it take stuff with you. Uh, uh, well, that makes a sense to do that in the United States. There's so many wind turbines. You exactly. need a, yeah. a base of operations, so yeah. to speak. In the U.S. And then we ship the robots in. So yeah. the trailer we built locally, and then we ship the robots in. So the last time we spoke with you was probably just pre-pandemic. It may have been yeah. in 2019. It's been a couple of years. Yeah, and I can't actually remember. Yeah, I think it's, it's a couple it's of years. It's been a while. Yeah. And I remember at the time, uh, the discussion was, anybody go back and look at our, on YouTube and see the episode, uh, that your robot has essentially universal pieces it's mm. sort of plug and play yeah if i want to do a specific task i add an arm and i can do this task yeah so it makes it really versatile what are some of the things uh that you're thinking about doing where where is this going now you have the leading edge yeah. protection thing yes. going so What's we, next? we the, the last couple of years we just put all of energy into getting that leading edge system up and Smart. running so, so that's yeah. that's now running and commercial product we have there and yeah go Go and get it, uh, <laughs> yes. but uh, we have some we have some R and D work going on, of course, and yeah. uh, we have some projects going on actually together with uh, some other uh, technology companies and also oh, university universities involved, where we are so we're doing something with Force Technology and DTU, 
uh, where we're looking into ultrasonic scannings uh, of the blades. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and then we actually just started a, another project that we got funded by the EU, Horizon, uh, Horizon Europe program. Okay, yeah. Uh, and there we also have a collaboration of, uh, of various partners. So we have, uh, uh, we have um, EDP as an as a, as a, wow. you know, owner-operator. And we have, Fantastic. We okay. have Technalia, we have uh, Chester University, we have Alarion and... Uh, so we, there's a bunch of companies that's there. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. So it's a that's pretty, a nice pretty, uh, group. pretty big consortium there. Right. Um, and we're trying to build a system where, for also NDT, but we're looking in some other technologies sure. for 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 uh, inspection and also how we can do small structural repairs on the blade. Ooh. Okay. So so actually, there there's some of these uh, research uh, guys really looking deep into uh, how we can how we can actually stru uh, do structural repairs. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense yeah. because not all structural damage is super deep. But we do no, see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think we might not go with the really huge uh, cracks in the beginning, but, right. you know, <laughs> right. get some of the small stuff, uh, be able yeah. to do that. So, yeah. uh, Well, speed is of the essence all the time. We, exactly. All the discussion this week is about how quickly can this be done? How much time does it take a technician to be here? How fast can you turn and around? And it all boils down to the cost. And uh, yeah, eventually it boils down to cost, yeah. right? How, how fast can you put an, an LEP system onto a blade right now? Yeah, so so it of of course it depends, depends on the a, depends on what's the level of erosion, oh, how, sure. ma how many meters you want applied, sure. and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, the stuff we did this summer was a uh, a 12 meter LEP, uh, okay. and that's approximately one day per per blade. Okay. Wow. All right. Because you have to go all the way from cleaning it up. Yeah, yeah. Fixing it, it up yeah. to the point where you can apply the yeah. LEP is probably the easiest part yeah, of that. Yeah, uh, the LEP actually only takes 10 minutes. That's <laughs> all the other structural yeah, repairs so, and so, fixes. So, so it's all, it's all the, the getting everything sanded and cleaned and, yeah. and yeah. Preparations. Preparation key. takes time. Yeah. And, and this is also one of the areas that we are looking into. How can we speed up that part of the process? Sure. Uh, I really want to be able to, to do two or three blades in one day, that's uh, that's where we want to go. Well, I think it's very doable. Yeah. It just takes some experience of which you guys have, it, right? It, and exactly. that, that's, so. that's an advantage using Rope Robotics compared to some others is yeah. that it's experience. You've yeah. done it. You've yeah. been out in the field. You've gone through those growing pains. You know where those are. Exactly. And you're you're moving on to the next stage, and it's just going to get quicker and faster and better as you go. Yeah. We just, yeah, we're out there getting some mileage. And, yeah. uh, that's then what you have to do. And exactly. And, and then speed will also increase over time. It'll follow naturally with it. Yeah. 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 Well, it's great that you get to finally see you, actually. <laughs> There's so many people we've met that we've only met on Zoom previously yeah, yeah. For, during COVID times, and we're all in one place. I swear all of wind industries. It's It's great here. to put uh, faces to, oh, we got faces, Wait. but you know. Uh, <laughs> some flesh to some faces. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, actually it, see people. Yeah, people it's, it's been very nice, yeah. and uh, it's uh, good to see you, and congratulations. Uh, saw the saw the robot, it's impressive. It's a, if, if you haven't seen it, go, go on YouTube, uh, because it's impressive. Definitely or come impressive. visit me in Denmark. You're so also welcome to do that. Oh, I, I'd love to. <laughs> Just when it's sunny outside, so you can tell me the day it's sunny in Denmark, and we'll come over. Yeah, well, that sounds good. So, Martin, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, and uh, good luck. Thank you very much, That's and thank you for having me here. That's going to do it for this week's Uptime Wind Energy podcast. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment and give us a five star rating on your podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe in the show notes below to the Uptime Tech News. 
our weekly newsletter, as well as Rosemary's YouTube channel, Engineering with Rosie. And we'll see you here next week on the Uptime Wind Energy Podcast.